Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, buddy. We're back in business yet again another week. How you doing? Look at that. I mean, consistency at its best, right? Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? So how's your week been? It's been great. Yeah, we've had a bunch of really interesting stuff happening in the team, which I can't share because we're under NDA at the moment. Um, but I will say we were in a all teams meeting with it's like I don't know, 600 PMs and there was a demo show where I was like jaw dropped and it's been a while since I've had one of them. So it's always exciting to see this stuff when it's just, you know, coming out of tented mode and now it's like obviously employee only, but they're sharing it with more than a, a very small tented amount of people. That's nice. Nice. So more importantly, who's the person who's going to come on the show and talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> I suspect we're at least a year away, but it's yeah. pretty cool stuff. Nice, nice, nice. Cool stuff. That Bing is supposedly cool again, although I have to admit this AI stuff confuses me. So you have any insights into the new and improved Bing? Yeah, so I put some links in the show notes. Uh, the Obviously, the official blog post gives pretty good detail, and you can sign up for it at bing.com slash new. I got in with my personal account the day after, and I think a lot of people did. There doesn't seem to be a preference whether you're an employee or not. I saw Mary Jo Furley moaning that she wasn't uh, in or uh, yet. Look, if you've played with chat GPT and the OpenAI playground, Essentially, what this is doing is taking the same principles of having a conversation, but the background learning model is Bing's entire database of search indexing. I, I've been pretty impressed with it so far. It it puts things on the head a little bit. Like before, if you were doing a... Oh, I actually just did some research on traveling to a new city in Seville in Spain. And you know, before, in an old search engine, you'd put places to visit in Seville. And then it would, you know, give you a bunch of Google results. But instead, you can have a conversation with it and go, uh, can you share me the top most visited places in Seville that involve wine? Because wine's great. And, you know, <laughs> the results come back. But then you can continue the conversation. And go, uh, can you refine that to things that are good to do in spring? And then... So it's the Q&A, but you've gone with it, the, right. the, with Bing's data model instead of whatever. So good. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. it's the most simple way to explain it. But um, it, it works really well. Like, I think it's going to take a lot of getting used to because we've all been, you know, Googling in a certain way, just throwing keywords at things. And then a lot of our discovery of results is based on scrolling and looking at results and you're doing that in your head. Whereas now when you're having the conversation with the bot, you're teaching the bot and the bot's going to keep learning about you rather than, I mean, sure, some of the search engines do do stuff on like what page of results you get to before you give up. But now you're kind of feeding it and refining by conversation. It's, it's very cool. Yeah. And there was actually a good, you're going to hear a bunch of terms being used by us. The, the biggest one is probably the hallucinating, the bot hallucinates. And giving like nonsensical answers. <laughs> and uh, there's a really good article in the New Yorker, which I managed to read for free because you get one a month. And it's called Chat GPT is a blurry JPEG of the web. And it, it compares this technology to technology back in the day that Xerox had. Um, it's a good article and it, it explains a lot of the, the challenges that I think are going to come up with this kind of bot approach to things. Yeah, so now that you've explained it that way, I get it. We've come to a similar thing where some, some people want to fill out a form and look at results and some people want to converse, right? So right. 
I, I can, yeah, I totally get it. Right. So it makes sense. Personally, I'm probably not going to do the conversation bit. Just give me the answers and let me decide for myself what I, what's relevant. But um, although I should ask it, how do you put a close button on the React Control dialog? Because there's no X at the top. I can't close the dialog. <laughs> anyway. The challenges of your Paul's daily life. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. So the, 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 the folks back in the office will hear me talking about it and they'll tell me, get my butt out of the front end. I should be, I'm not supposed <laughs> yeah. to be there. <laughs> You're going to be a back end. You're going to be in the closet writing, writing Perl and yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. But I am excited. There's a new uh, a preview of the Graph SDK. Yeah. Uh, which kind of ties into an interview that I did this morning with the folks on the Kyoto team. So uh, we've got a link to hear this thing. Basically, well, I want to say it's almost like uh, the duck, right? It, or the swan looks smooth above the water, but underneath the feet are just pedaling like crazy. So that's what's going on under the covers. They're doing a lot of stuff. So there's some improvements, some minimal improvements in the graph SDK, but the, the technology behind it is over a ton of stuff. So I can't wait to to get into that one. Yeah. And so that will, if you listen to this on Monday the 13th, then the following Monday will be where we speak to Vincent Beret and Rebeb on the uh, Kyoto and, you know, related language SDKs. But there's a really good article that Maiza Rissi, who's been on the show before, talks about some of the advantages there. And one that really stands out for me is um, specialized objects with OData cast support, which in the past, you know, it's not been as good. Um, and so that having that ability to have those objects better is d definitely an advantage. Let me summarize for those who don't have it in front of you, right? So instead of getting an iDirectory object, you're going to get a group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. And so, so there's definite benefits to going to Kyoto for generation than what we've been doing in the past. So nice, nice. And so this week you had a partner on for us. Who'd you, who'd you talk to this time? Louis uh, from ShareGate, actually. Um, and I, I was there too. And uh, it's just really interesting. Like ShareGate's been in our ecosystem for a long time. And um, just hearing what they've been doing with their SaaS product. Um, I, I learned a bunch of stuff in there. And I think, you know, whether you're a, you know, you're a developer at an enterprise place or you're a developer building product, uh, I think these partner success interviews are, are really useful to understand how people are going and building businesses on top of our ecosystem and uh, you know the lessons they learn along the way so um, enjoy the show and if you're listening and you're from a product company and you'd like to be part of this partner success series please reach out to me and um, we'll we'll schedule up with me and Aicha to uh, record and if you're a product manager and you want to talk about features and uh, then we can schedule calls with me and Paul that's how we're kind of running this from now on or if you're just a regular dev who's got ideas, reach out to either one of us and we'll try to get answers for you or, or even share something you've built. Um, I still think the enterprise dev is underserved, so happy to help them too if we can. So Very true. Yeah, absolutely. But thanks for doing that and uh, have a good week and we'll chat next time. Yeah, you too. Go Chiefs. By the time you listen to this show, you'll know the result. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so here with Aicha and Luis today. Hi Aicha, how are you doing? Hi Jeremy, I'm great. So exciting to be here again uh, and exciting for this podcast episode. We have Lou with us. Hi Louis. Hi, thanks for having me. I am. Um, we missed you last week, Aicha, because you're on vacation. So I trust you had a good time. Yes, I definitely did. My family was visiting Dubai, so I took them around. We had a great time together, some family time. It was fun. Good. Nice to have a good break. That's awesome. 
And I'm assuming nice weather because you're in Dubai. Yes, you you assume that, but last week was all about raining, and uh, it, oh, we, no. we we usually have just one week of rain in Dubai, nothing more. But that was the week when my family visits, so it wasn't the best week for them. I was fine, uh, cozy at home and chilling, but for them, they they came here for vacation, beach weather, and so on. So nothing that they expected actually. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, unfortunate. I guess it goes with it, though. You're probably grateful for the the humidity and the the rain. Yeah, I'm so grateful we had at least a week for some winter or fall season, and then we are back to all the hot weathers and everything. Louis, you're up in Montreal in Canada, right? So, what, what's the weather there? I mean, obviously, I work with Daryl and Vincent um, in the graph team that are up there, but what, what's your impression of the weather up in Montreal? It's pretty snowy currently. Uh, we've been uh, <laughs> wow. been hit with a lot of snow in the in the last uh, last few days. It's still snowing outside right now, uh, but you know we're used to it. It's just uh, it's always like that. You you either have like really nice temperature or it just switches over and you have snowfalls after snowfalls. Get used to it. Well, look, I really appreciate you coming on the show. We obviously know of Sherkite a lot here from the fact that it's been in the ecosystem for so long and like the show we had last week with um, Kudzu, you know, with Rob, it, it's nice to have people that have been in the ecosystem for a long time and continuing to have success there. So do you want to introduce yourself for those that don't know you and um, what you do at Sharegate? So uh, my name is Louis Baudouin-Alain. I'm the uh, principal developer at Sharegate. Uh, so my role is basically I overview the uh, tech strategy, tech opportunities for the product team also, uh, try to align our different teams across multiple code bases with good practices and and try to uh, work towards our, our tech vision for, for the next years and determine um, the next steps towards uh, making that a, a reality for our customers. That's really cool. A lot of people on the show in following the ecosystem will be familiar with Shagate itself, but on for those that aren't, how would you like best describe what benefit Shagate gives our Microsoft 365 user base? Like how, how do you position this to your, your customers? A lot of people know Shagate for its migration tool. Uh, so we've been known for migrating from any version of SharePoint to uh, to any version also, uh, either to on-premise or the cloud. So there's a, a, there are benefits for, for customers that are actually moving to the cloud in Microsoft 365 to actually just uh, move over from their on-premise environment. And then we also have some uh, management capabilities now. that are, And it's basically a one-stop shop for administrators to just manage their tenant on different aspects and, and have visibility on what's going on and have the right governance, the right policy, uh, while also collaborating with their end users uh, because they're often uh, better suited simply to know what a group or a Teams or a SharePoint is actually used for. So they're better suited to take uh, decisions instead of having an admin decide on, like, what do I do with these 10,000 groups or so? I, I have no idea. So we really focus on the collab- collaboration with the actual group owners and team owners. If I can give some examples... Recently, we released a provisioning and uh, functionality where the administrator will define templates with the right settings and the right uh, governance policies for, let's say, the, the amount of owners that should be required on a group, if you will, on teams. And then the end users will be able to create those templates based on what their purpose is. You know, so let's say a department has that kind of settings or a 
a management project or, or so on. So that's one of the example of collaboration. There's also like, we have um, policies around uh, the usage of sites and their inactivity and all of this. And then we can contact the owners with either email or Teams uh, chatbot to, so that they can take the decision on whether they should keep or archive or delete a given uh, group or team. That's really cool. Yeah, I, lo I love those scenarios. It's definitely something like I'll create groups and then completely forget about them. And we have an internal system at Microsoft that we use and it's always nagging me to, are you sure you really need this? We can see you've not used it in 12 months. And so it's, I think it's essential these things, the hygiene exists. Yeah, that's very cool. And Louis, you you mentioned about your solution, how long this is available for the customers. And I'm assuming that there are new functionalities coming over. Um, when did it start it in the first place? Uh, Shargate itself has been around for close to 10 years now or so, maybe a little bit more, if I'm not mistaken. But the, all that management, uh, all those management capabilities have been around for four years now or so. It's, it's actually uh, an opportunity we actually found with the migration tool that we saw some interest and then just tried to go uh, differently than the, uh, our traditional approach. Yeah, and it's interesting because you think about like how your product was architected before and then evolving this into more like the management scenarios rather than the migration scenarios. What's been the biggest change for you in the dev technologies you've used in, in the kind of those new scenarios around provisioning and the government side? Like I, I'm assuming APIs have changed in terms of what you would normally have used to now. There are multiple aspects. Well, first of all, just the the... The technology stack is quite different between a, a desktop more oriented with WPF instead of uh, going web and all the all, all that technological stack. Uh, but also, but but that's not like the big challenge is actually knowing that you cannot just run things on the customer's PC. You know, like previously it was simple. Oh well, it, it runs on. We don't have to manage infrastructure, and it's and it's a lot less of a security. Uh, issue also for for a customer that just oh it it only runs in their machine. Uh, there's nothing going through our servers now. It's a different approach. We have to take you know more uh, security uh, first approaches and just make sure that everything is also scalable because now you don't have everything runs on your server. So you're running multiple tenants. You have a multi-tenant application where everything runs there. Well, you have to prioritize, determine who runs when and what's orchestrate everything. While before, well. I don't have to worry about that. It's just running on, on somebody else's computer, you know? That, so it's quite different, uh, but it's um, uh, there, there are some good tools and, and we have the, the, the right people to, to actually architecture all of this, but it, it's a lot more challenging in a way. Uh, we've definitely seen this pattern during this partner success series of moving away from these desktop clients to uh, SaaS, and I think primarily because it, most solutions now are collaborative. Like if I'm provisioning a site and I need someone to approve it, there needs to be something in a web-based format for everyone to interact with because they can't interact with the desktop app running on Mac. Sorry, the question I was specifically asking though was more around like, I'm assuming you're probably using more graph than you was just migrating SharePoint files because I'm guessing you're probably still using the SharePoint REST APIs and see some APIs to do the SharePoint migration. Whereas now you're kind of touching teams and... Exchange Online and other things. Uh, how have you found that transition? Because I'm guessing devs are very familiar with those SharePoint APIs and maybe not so much with the graph until you introduce this product. 
the graph itself is is and it's just another API for for us in a way, but it's just even it's a lot more simpler to use than the actual SharePoint APIs where. You know the the format is not always the same in in between CSOM REST and uh, even some uh, some old well no, legacy if I may uh, web services um, that that you can find on on you know earlier versions of SharePoint. While the graph is you know it's standardized, it's the same pattern over and over. You only have one way to authenticate. You don't have to deal with all those those different things and. and Different flows in your code base, so it's it's a lot easier to actually use. And there's some good tooling with the uh, SDKs, the Graph Explorer, and all of that that just simplifies. And the documentation also is a, I'd say it's it's a lot better than what was available previously on on the other APIs prior to Graph. So the, the transition went really well, and whenever possible, we just leveraged the Graph instead of traditional APIs, but we still have a lot of usage over the, um, the other APIs, especially in our migration engine, of course, that we didn't really transition everything over yet, but at one point we might. I'm curious, uh, Louis, do you keep anything in the cloud? Because you're mentioning government, and I always get curious because I think the app, app architecture is really different when it comes to end user or when it comes to government related. And I've seen this conversations going on with really big customers, but when it comes to the government related or even country regulations are time to time different when it comes to cloud. Um, so how do you manage that or do you keep anything in the cloud? We, we don't officially support government uh, agencies and, and, and all of that, unfortunately, uh, because of all the regulations and all of this. We still uh, we still focus on market or on on business and small, medium and, and some larger businesses. We need to keep a lot of data, that's for sure, because um, like I mentioned, where we want to give some set up some policies and give some good insights so on on SharePoint site usages, uh, well, usage, sorry, on um, on external sharing, guest access, just uh, so, some different privacy settings and all of this. So we need to, you know, have um, something that crawls the data and just uh, combines all of it so we can do then our our own uh, interpretation of your environment and, and give the, the best insight as possible. Uh, we do keep some data. It's all encrypted. Everything, all the all PII and all of this is just really. Uh, we make sure that even developers don't have access to see the actual data unless we really need to have a uh, formal consent by a customer before accessing. In case there would be something, but it's not something that we that we need to do. Uh, we really uh, rely on on anonymity and um, make sure that everything is secure as possible, especially with our archive engine and all of it where we actually copy over the the content of files exter- externally where we don't we don't want any anybody to have access except the actual person who's responsible for that content pretty cool and where did you see the gap in the market in the first place when you were transitioning four years ago from uh, being a migration uh, solution to um, having other aspects? What we actually focused on first was really to match the um, uh, the end of life cycle of uh, Microsoft uh, 365 groups, where and and teams by association. So the focus was really around uh, making sure that when a team becomes inactive, then you are, the owners are made aware and all this, and just uh, they can 
be informed and take the right decision based on our um, insights where we gave you like, oh, well, you haven't used that in like 30 days or 90 days or depending on the policy you have. And then we just offered the possibility, like I mentioned before, of keeping or archiving, basically. Archiving is really, like I mentioned, our own uh, archival system that leverages our migration expertise and migration engine because an archive is basically a copy, right? It's it's really similar to what we've done, except instead of targeting over a SharePoint environment, you're actually putting it somewhere in a, a storage account for for our uh, storage account, although the way we actually designed it. But yeah, that, that was the first actual um, pattern. It, it was basically because we had a lot of customers moving from uh, SharePoint on-premise that were moving onto the cloud and kind of lost control there because uh, they were seeing a lot of sprawl and all this with the people starting to self-serve and create groups and teams that they weren't used to uh, on-premise. And then we offered that solution to really accompany them following their migration. Yeah, super interesting that kind of that transition to the cloud and how that changed things a lot for customers. I mean, obviously there was probably some good line in the sand on going, we're going to build a SaaS now, software as a service versus a desktop app. And how many features you wanted to load in there before you launched this to the public? You know, I'm sure there was a balance between we want all the features in versus actually let's just ship this thing with these small subset of features. From a development perspective, how did that decisions come into it? And and what was kind of like the the trial experience that you gave your customers so they could explore the product without necessarily buying it first or you know what do we basically uh, development wise we really wanted to it's always been like that with Sergey we want to offer a the simplest experience for customers uh, before uh, so they they don't have to you know try and understand really complex uh, systems and all that so so to really simplify it for them. We really focused on the experience we wanted to offer and then found the technology to do it. Where we drew the lines, actually, uh, what I mentioned, detection of inactivity, end of life cycle, and just a, a simple way of just, uh, well, we'll just contact via email. Then we followed up afterwards with, oh, well, support a chatbot. And then we'll give some more insights on different things and all that. But just first feature was simply, is it active, inactive? Uh, take, a, take a decision on, on what you do. So, and we gave, uh, we had a private preview before actually going live with some partners and VPs that we have a relationship with so that we could get some feedback. Uh, things went pretty well. And the uh, private preview lasted for a few months uh, back at the beginning of, of 2019, if I'm not mistaken. And then once we we went live, um, customers were able to do a, a trial, a free trial of a um, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it was 30 days, like like they usually do. And it just afterwards, uh, if they wanted to keep, they, they were able to retrieve their, their data from the archival if they didn't wish to continue with us. And but things went pretty well afterwards. And otherwise, I wouldn't be saying that four years uh, four years on. Yeah, that's right. It clearly worked. The ideas turn into turn into a strong product. You have a really cool website, by the way. <laughs> well, thank you. Is your solution available in any stores like a team store or office store or maybe transitioning to in a store? We are not in the office store. We are in the team store. We have one app in the team store. That's our end user app. Um, that's fairly new though. It's the one that's, it was actually used for our chatbot for communication, uh, but it's also used now for um, actually interacting well. 
as end users see uh, the teams you are a member of, owner of, and give some a little bit more more insight, and then um, to actually interact with provision our provisioning provisioning solution. Sorry, so the one I mentioned previously, where the admin define their templates, and then as end user you can actually create teams from there with the right settings out of the box instead of having to configure everything uh, manually afterwards or having your your admin do it for you. You mentioned chatbot. There seems to be quite a few different ways that you can deploy a chatbot uh, into our platform. What, what approach did you take and why with deploying the chatbot the way you did? Again, uh, simplicity is always uh, the way we want to do things. So it's kind of hard for, uh, for us instead of our customers. <laughs> <laughs> the way we, we, do, we did it, it's been like that for quite a few years now. It's, um, we actually installed it ourselves from the for our backend solution when we required to actually communicate with with an, a user we don't install it right away for everybody in the tenant right it's only when we when we find that we need to contact an owner then we determine oh well this owner has to communicate uh well we need to communicate with that owner in particular let's create a conversation and then that's a, quite a challenge with the apis because doing proactive messaging is not something that's I'd say it's not quite supported. You have to uh, find ways to make it work. You have to install and then retrieve, uh, uh, grab an ID, and it's like a one-time thing where if you miss it, you you cannot <laughs> conversate with the uh, between the bot and the user. So you have to do it over again. So it's it's quite tricky, but it it worked for us. Just uh, not not the the simplest thing over there. Not only publishing, by the way, there are different ways of building teams, uh, bots. These days, um, I, I just wonder which way did you use for building your bots? Did you just build a bot like Azure bot and then use the SDK, or the other way around? Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure four four years ago, if you built this Teams Toolkit, it wasn't around. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been quite a long time. I know we leverage like the, the bot framework and all of this, like the, the the standard controller where you get the feedback and all of this and just um, send out messages directly via the bot framework with uh, adaptive cards. It's been quite a long time. I wouldn't have more details on this, unfortunately. I can see in the Teams app permissions, you know, it's receiving messages and data that I provide to it send me messages and notifications and access to my profile. So that Teams app seems pretty light in terms of permissions there. So there's two places you're making, you're having co users consent. Is that how you're approaching it? Yeah, we have um, the Teams app since it really interacts with only end users is really, really lightweight and it's still fairly new. So it's the, the permissions have not really started to, to, uh, to accumulate in it, if you, if you will. And we have two other app registrations uh, behind the scenes. So we have one for the migration tool. That's the, our previous one that only uses or almost uh, delegated permissions for actually copying the, the data over and making sure that it's only the right permissions that are used. And there's always a user interacting, right? While our uh, management capabilities use uh, mostly application permissions and since we need to go across Teams, um, uh, SharePoint, Groups, and all this, it's a very uh, broad set of permissions that we need. Uh, and since it's application permissions, it's a bit trickier to actually make sure that, that people consent and, uh, and give you that, that actual 
control over their environment because you have some permissions that are, are very broad that can do many things and you only use it for a single thing but it's not and we're not there yet in, in terms of like uh, like they did with teams with research specific content it's not something that's available across the old platform yet hopefully at one point it will be and we'll be able to review our, our, our permission set but yeah it's um, everything that's management and and we have we need to crawl data and all of this is all done with application permissions as much as possible since it's all background processing and we don't we cannot rely on the user interaction or waiting for a user to actually do some work on our end we do hear this feedback um we've heard it for a long time now and there's a v team in play across various divisions of microsoft actually to as you say try and get resource specific consent across the other workloads like sharepoint like exchange and aad especially for provisioning scenarios where it's like, give me permission. If I've created the object, let me manage it, but don't let me manage others is like a really common one. And the whole, whole intent here is, is that we're reducing the need for things like group read, write, or with admin consent. Uh, you know, as you say, like you're using that permission for one API call and you'd rather just to be a, you know, much granular permission. So that those, those things are the V team are working on, but uh, to get that consistent across each of the different product groups in M365 is actually pretty tricky. And so it's it's taking us quite a while to get there. So yeah, we do appreciate the the friction you probably have with customers when they see that and are nervous to click consent. And you know, we're trying to do work on the guidance side of it as well to make that easier for you as well. And, and we do understand why customers are, you know, are worried about this and all. It's just Yeah, you know, it's good that they're concerned. Yeah. And we would really much enjoy to just make it simpler and make it um, more more granular or more uh, progressive in the in the content. Unfortunately, it's not something that's really available with application permissions for now. Eventually, it would be would be very nice if we could just activate features gradually. I, I'm sure everyone's going to nod when I say this, but I just came back from a trip from Australia with with my parents and uh, checked their phones and looked at their privacy in iOS and all the apps they'd consented the microphone to and <laughs> you know all their details and location and it's just like well we just click okay whenever we see those prompts and i'm like can you just by default just not do that from now on that's really good thank you so yeah it's i'm i'm kind of glad that customers have a better kind of constraint on that stuff but it does make it hard for the ecosystem we're totally aware of that cool so louis i also wonder moving forward look, looking ahead what would you expect from Microsoft to be doing uh, to improve your product and make it better for your customers? Well, first, like um, like like I mentioned earlier, a bit, a bit like the, the SDKs are really good. Uh, we use mostly the C Sharp SDK because uh, our app is in .NET, um, and things like the documentation and the graphics Explorer and all of this is really helpful. So that's a, that's a good way to, to keep going on uh, moving forward. And the rest of the things are mostly around what we've talked right before. So the, the permissions for us would be, are, are a real, a real challenge when we need people to reconsent or, or change permissions or uh, understand why we require all, all that permission set. So, Having things like uh, like progressive content, like you can do with delegate permissions, but for application permissions that you currently you have to consent everything right away uh, at first, that would be something very helpful for us. Otherwise, some APIs are still not available in uh, with application permissions, so we try to stay a bit 
uh, away from them because we know that even if we want, we'll have some issues uh, relying on the delegated permission where uh, we don't have control over when the user sign-ins and all of this. Out of interest, which ones came to mind for you? A quick example is that when we want to detect activity on, on, a, on a team or a group, we cannot access the group calendar. I think it's a calendar or, or the messages uh, without uh, with application permission. So we have to rely on either delegate permissions, but at one point we'll, we'll tell the, the customer, well, sorry, I, I, I cannot be too much accurate, well, really accurate with this group in particular because I don't have the data. So. And we don't want people that use groups for just, you know, uh, planning meetings and all of this to actually uh, take a, a wrong decision on the life cycle of the group itself. So that's one of the examples. And, and there aren't really that much. Uh, there was Planner for a long time. Now it's available in application permissions. Uh, we haven't, we haven't <laughs> transitioned to it yet, but we'll, we'll, we'll sure, for sure take a look at it. We see ShareGate in many programs across Microsoft. As somebody who's listening to this, this might be a brand new software company that's plugging into the ecosystem. Where do you see the most value in terms of programs that you're signed up to into Microsoft and, and how it's benefited ShareGate as a software company in the ecosystem? Well, we've built relationships with Microsoft over the years, that's for sure. So, But uh, the, the programs themselves are, are really helpful, especially uh, if... For for uh, for graph the, all the uh, uh, fellowship of graph or Microsoft Type program to know exactly you know what's coming some give some feedback uh, just know who the right person is to talk to about about a certain topic and all of this is absolutely uh, wonderful to have, to have as a as a tool. Otherwise, we also have uh, you know like um, MVPs internally that you know see a bit ahead of what's going on what's coming in the roadmap so they can also strategically wise think about what we should maybe do with the things that are actually coming out on, on Microsoft's end. So yeah, I, I'd say they, the, the private previews and previously there were dev kitchens and all of this is always really helpful to actually uh, interact with people, also give feedback and make your use cases known to uh, to Microsoft. And, and Microsoft is usually uh, pretty open in, in those programs to make sure that they actually develop something that fits the needs of their customers in a way. So it's just, uh, you have to, to look at a bit everywhere, but once you find the right place and you get, you know, like access to, to some previews and some, some insider knowledge, if I may, uh, it, it's really helpful. Yeah. So thank you for the kudos on the, the tap. I mean, obviously it's something that my team owns. So it, it's interesting. We, we get very different answers from this in the part of success. And so it, it's funny to hear the different, you know, answers to which programs benefit from what. The the thing I'm going to pick pick in on is the you know something that I experienced when I worked at Appoint more than 12 years ago. Now was you know they hired in an MVP to get that insight from being in the program, and that is a really good benefit. And I know you have a few on your staff there, which is great. Um, but I think one thing we're trying to do now with that tap is like remove that bias. If you're a software company, you want to be under NDA and you want to get that information. You don't necessarily have to have an MVP on your books to be able to get to it, you know, because there's different companies that are in different scenarios where it, it doesn't necessarily make sense to have that person on board the team. But um, yeah, I acknowledge it's certainly a benefit. And for my career wise, it was a great accelerator for my career in, in doing that at that point when I was there. For, for me, it really helped because I'm, I'm not an MVP and I have access to all that privileged information without relying on some on someone else. I can, 
well, on someone else, uh, Microsoft directly with the TAP program. So it's been very helpful for me uh, in my role and the way I, I was able to grow in that into that role also. Yeah, and the good news is with that TAP, Ryan on my team is actually working to expand the scope of it so it's not just Graph. And if you're in there already, and for those listening um, that are interested, you can reach out. The uh, you know we've had a lot of teams NDA preview stuff on there and a few other projects that aren't even public yet. So there are you know extreme benefits to software companies to be part of that so they can hear what's coming through because I think to your point, like it's really good to know when things are coming through so you can plan them as part of the cycles of your of your development as features get unlocked like planner app only you can it will start unlocking new scenarios for you especially in those kind of spaces that you're in yes and especially uh, other than the official programs at microsoft some product teams are extra interactive with uh, companies that they use their products uh, which creates a huge benefit and uh, it definitely makes a difference uh, because i think product team also get a chance to hear what's happening in the field and it's totally a different experience i see graph team is working really hands-on in the field and uh, being super active in the community as well that's a really great experience as a developer or uh, someone who doesn't have a privilege being an MVP or maybe never heard of communities like PMP before. I think having those programs are really crucial. Final question, Louis, where can people go and try out uh, your product? The easiest way is actually going on uh, Uh People can start a free trial from there. They have access to uh, both our migration tool, our management capabilities, then uh, it unlocks also the end user apps for uh, collaboration with the owners. Uh, so it's really um, the, the the place to go if you want to try. Uh, I know a lot of people actually use us for migration, but are not aware of the management capabilities necessarily, or you know have not really had that need uh, so far. So I just want to mention that it's free with their license it's it's all included in, the, in a single and a single product so that they can also try their uh the, the management capabilities right from there that's really cool well louis i really appreciate you coming today i've i've learned a few things i didn't know already which is great uh so thank you for your time i hopefully everyone listening um enjoyed this too thank you aisha for joining us today and uh we will see everyone next week on uh, another show with and i can't even remember who the guest is so i'm not even gonna rumble through my notes but it'll be a good one i promise you thank you so much jeremy and louis thank you very much thanks for listening to the microsoft 365 developer podcast please follow us on twitter at m365 dev podcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 